We'll be in Luke chapter 24. We're going to kind of pick up where we left off last week, where last week Christians all over the world celebrated that Jesus is alive, that in some mysterious way, in a way that we can't quite comprehend or certainly explain, Jesus is not dead. God did something and it changed everything. It changed the way we tell time. Uh, It changed the way uh, the world is structured. And it even changed a group of people so radically that they started a movement. A group of people who at one point denied they even knew Jesus and supposedly Jesus' best friends who had walked with Him for a number of years wanted to save their own lives. And for fear of their own life, they completely disaffiliated with Jesus. And God did something that we celebrate on Easter that was so radical that it took a bunch of people who at one moment were ashamed of Jesus and were pretending like they didn't know Him for, the, for the, their own life's sake, and then they all of a sudden were willing to risk and even lose their life for the sake of this same Jesus. And something happened. And we see here in this account that something is that this Jesus who they killed and they tortured publicly, miserably, shamefully, An abandoned guy hung on an old rugged cross didn't stay dead. And he came back to life. And when he did, something happened. It changed everything. And so last week we talked about, oh, so great. If we entertain the possibility that Jesus is not dead, so what? What's that got to do with me? And in a crazy way, the Bible tells us later that the earliest Christians were asking the same question. They were having a hard time believing that Jesus was really alive and that it had anything to do with Him. And we find that later, just like, uh, uh, just like LeBron James didn't do for me when he won the NBA Finals, and just like the Olympians did, didn't do for me when they, won, uh, when, they, when they won gold medals, Jesus actually invites us to celebrate in the victory. right? And we talked about last week how nobody who's ever won a Super Bowl has ever called me and be like, hey dude, join me in the... Join me in the locker room. We're having champagne and having a party. Um, No one's ever invited me into the victory. And the so what of the resurrection is that Jesus actually shares his victory. And the Bible tells us that even though death looms over us and seems to have power over this life, thanks be to God that through Jesus Christ, he actually gives us the same victory that he gave through Jesus. And in the same way that the power of death has no power over Jesus, that God gets the last word over Jesus, God gets the last word over you and me. And it's a word of victory. Cancer doesn't get the last word. Your boss doesn't get the last word. Your bank statement doesn't get the last word. God, in a generous and faithful way, gets the last word over your life and mine. And it's a word of victory. It's not a word of revenge. Jesus didn't come back to seek revenge, right? He didn't come back and, and kill all the people that betrayed him. Instead, he came back and he said, there's peace. Because ultimately, this victory that I have over death is yours as well. And when we went through Luke chapter 24, looking at this, we skipped over a chunk that I said we'd come back to. And so here we are in Luke chapter 24. We're going to read verses uh, 13 and on. And we will look at another group of people, a pair actually, who encountered this Jesus after they watched him publicly executed. And if last week we were asking the question, okay, Jesus is alive, so what? Well, then the entertainment that I kind of want to to throw at your your imagination is the possibility that it actually matters and there's actually something that we're invited to participate in. And so if last week we were asking, okay, Jesus is alive, so what? Maybe the question for today would be, Jesus is alive, now what? Not only what does it have to do with me, but if it has something to do with me, what do I do? 
And that's the question I think these couple of guys were asking. So the word had started to get out that Jesus was seen even after they buried him. The word got out amongst the people that it's possibility that they, people saw him alive. And verse 13, that very day, that is that Easter Sunday, that, that first day that Jesus appeared to his people, his followers, and to many other witnesses. In verse 13, it says, that very day, two of them were going to a village named Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. And so this is kind of a familiar setting for us. Um, we've got a couple of places around Sioux Falls that, that are in some ways connected and, and counted in their economic center, but they're, they're kind of a smaller city. Um, some would even call cities like this a bedroom community. So you think of like Hartford, Brandon, Harrisburg, right? T. That's where these guys are from. So they came to Jerusalem to be a part of the Passover and to see Jesus. And it says that they were in some way followers of Jesus. They knew about Jesus. They knew his power. Um, and so they kind of commuted. They, they were like commuter disciples, right? They came in from a smaller community. They came and they were a part of the Passover feast. They celebrated. And they also were a part of the tragedy of watching their teacher, their leader, Jesus, killed publicly. And now it's time. It's the first day of the week. It's time. The festivities over return back to where they came from. And they were walking. So a good mental picture for you is if, if you know some people who live in Harrisburg, Brandon T., or, or maybe you, you live there, so picture like today, okay, so um, the party's over, let's walk home. Seven miles, let's say average human, you know, the average foot speed for a human is somewhere between four to six miles an hour. So we're talking about anywhere from two to three hours worth of travel carrying a pack. So two to three hours worth of travel um, you can kind of, if you want to relate to that, uh, what it would look like in a car, but for them it was on foot. They're going to get to talk about what has happened for about two to three hours walking back home. Best way to think of that is we're walking, you and me, walking to Harrisburg. Here we go. And they were talking with each other about all these things that had happened. So they're like downloading. They're kind of, kind of processing all that's taken place. They met this guy, Jesus. He, he made a big difference. It seems that he drew a crowd, but then somehow the crowd, because of what Jesus said or did, turned on him and allowed him to be publicly executed. And these followers had to watch the whole thing happen. This guy who seemed like a celebrity, seemed like a guy that they wanted to be a part of this movement, was now thrown under the bus and he was dead. And they watched it right before their very eyes. And possibly their life has been changed because of this. And now they're walking home trying to process what they've just seen because now there's also some people going around saying that Jesus, this guy who they threw under the bus, is not actually dead. And as they are walking, they're talking. It says, verse 15, while they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near and he went with them. So they're walking along the road. You and I, were walking to Harrisburg, right? We're on our way there. And just like driving in any direction, probably not going to be the only car on the road. So as they're walking, there's many people either passing on the other side or, or maybe head in the same direction. Just like the fast lane, I'm sure there's some people whose their average human foot speed is a little bit higher than maybe my average human foot speed, right? And, and so they're passing each other. They're, they're seeing one another. Maybe some people are carrying packs and going slower. Some of them have a camel or a cart, 
And whatever way we see this, Jesus either they catch up to him or Jesus catches up to them. And it says Jesus drew near to them. And then he started, instead of passing him, passing these two guys, it says that Jesus walked with them. So here's a guy and and he just kind of joins them. In a way, he's eavesdropping because it says in, in verse 16, it says their eyes were kept from recognizing him. Verse 17, and then he said to them, what is this conversation that you are holding with each other as you walk? And they stood still looking sad. And then one of them named Cleopas answered, are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? And Jesus said to them, I love this, what things? So get the picture here. They're walking along. This guy comes and he seems to be a stranger for some reason that we'll talk about for a little bit and kind of guess about what maybe kept them from recognizing this Jesus who supposedly they knew very well. He just starts eavesdropping on their conversation. And as they're walking, he says, hey guys, so, uh, so what are you talking about? Now picture the average human foot speed and, and interject this little, this, little, this little quote here. It says that as they were walking in verse 17, it says they stood still, looking sad. And so picture their, their walk. They're, they're walking to where they're going, but it seems like they're, whatever they're doing, they're doing sadly. So we're walking along. I don't know what your foot speed is, but now imagine that we're walking sadly. Think in your own vocabulary. What are the words that we use to describe a sad walk, right? And where's your chest when you walk sadly? Where's your head? Where are your eyes when you walk sadly? And what is your pace when you're looking down, walking sadly? If you want to know, you can hang out with me. Uh, My little two-year-old does this quite often. Uh, And when she's sad, you start seeing in her body language. And it's not just the the face that looks just awful and pitiful, um, but even in the... That's what these guys are doing. It says that whatever they're doing, they're looking sad. Jesus finds them, let's say, I don't know what's the word that, I don't know what word comes to your mind, but I'm thinking like trudging, right? They're, they're trudging to Emmaus. They're walking home, but they seem to be doing so in a posture that's sad. And, and Jesus eavesdrops on their conversation, probably observes their posture, says, hey, what are you guys talking about? And they, looking sad, and this is why I really like these guys, um, they're cynical, they're sarcastic right? I love sarcasm when it shows up in the Bible. Hopefully it makes me feel better about myself, but listen to their response. Are you the only one that doesn't know what's been going on? Or Jesus goes, what, what are you guys talking about? And instead of saying, oh man, nice to meet you. Um, let me tell you about what happened. Instead, they just kind of condescendingly say, what, are you the only one who doesn't know the things that's been taking place? As if to imply that it seems like everyone apparently knows what's been going on. Whatever happened was public. Whatever happened seemed to be common knowledge, so much so that when Jesus asked, they mouth off to him. They say, hey, man, you must be the only one. And of course, Jesus says, what things are you talking about? And they said to him, concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a prophet, mighty in deed and word before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death. Even they know that the religious elite turned on him, turned him over, threw him under the bus. They condemned him to death and crucified him in verse 21. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. 
Yes, and besides all this, it is now the third day since these things have happened. And moreover, some women of our company have amazed us. They were at the tomb early in the morning. And when they did not find his body there, they came back saying that they had even seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. Some of those, or some of those who were with us went to the tomb, and we found it just as the women had said, but him they did not see, that is Jesus. And he said to them, that is Jesus, said to them, because after all, one sarcastic, snide comment deserves another, right? Jesus says, Oh, foolish ones, you fools, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. So they drew near to the village to which they were going. And he acted as if he were going farther. But they urged him strongly, saying, Stay with us, for it is toward evening, and the day is now far spent. So he went in to stay with them. And when he was at the table with them, he took the bread, and he blessed it, and he broke it. And he gave it to them. And then their eyes were opened, and they recognized him. And he vanished from their sight. And they said to each other, Did not our hearts burn within us while he talked with us on the road, while he opened to us the Scriptures? And they rose that same hour and returned to Jerusalem. And they found the eleven and those who were with them gathered together, saying, The Lord is risen indeed, and He has appeared even to Simon. And then they told what had happened to them on the road to Emmaus, and how He was known to them in the breaking of bread. So get the picture. They're on their way. They're walking sadly, trudging slowly. An eavesdropper comes along that they don't recognize. And they begin to share with this person all that's taken place over the last few days. Accusing him even of kind of hiding under a rock. What, do you live in a hole? You didn't know all the stuff that's going on? And Jesus says, don't talk to me of what I don't know. He says, you're the one who doesn't know. Isn't it true that the Scriptures have already prophesied that the Christ was meant to suffer? That there was one who was coming, but this one ultimately would bear a burden that no one else could bear. And the Scriptures, even from Moses, seem to allude to one who is coming who's going to be a king in a way that no one has seen before. He's going to be a king like the King David that they would have known from the good old days and the stories that people would have told about. He's going to be like that king, but his kingdom's going to be different. And when he dies, his kingdom's not going to end. And he seems to respond, shouldn't you guys know that this Christ, when he comes, it's going to be different. He's going to bear the burden. He's going to suffer for the wrongdoings of his people. And at that moment, they, they get to where they're going. And instead of carrying on further, Jesus is invited to stay with these people. Now, I think it's a challenge. If you go back a few chapters, Jesus challenged his disciples in a very powerful way. And he said to his disciples, hey, whenever you visit someone in 
prison whenever you visit someone or care for someone in the, that is sick, and whenever you clothe someone who is naked, whenever you help someone who is a stranger, you're not just helping them, you're actually helping me. And even though you might not, and this is, this is, this is true, even though you might not recognize them, to help them is actually to help Jesus. So much so that if you pass up the opportunity, people who follow Jesus were given this challenge, if they pass up the opportunity to help someone, to clothe someone who was naked, to feed someone who was hungry, or to visit someone who was in prison, or in the hospital, or who was sick, if you passed up that opportunity, it would almost be the same as if passing up the opportunity to help clothe and serve Jesus himself. And to ignore and betray that person is actually a betrayal of that person. And wouldn't you know it, these guys passed the test. Because as Jesus is ready to walk off and it's dark, they say simply, hey man, it's dark. Don't, don't go walking off into the dark. Don't walk in, you know, in, into the wilderness by yourself. Stay here with us. As if to kind of pass the test that whenever you help someone, whenever you serve someone, it's almost like, you know, almost like serving Jesus himself. Jesus takes the invitation, he receives it, and he comes in to eat with them. And when he sits down to break the bread, there's something about the way he blesses it. And the words here are almost identical to the Last Supper when Jesus celebrated the institution, what we call communion, or the Last Supper, or the Eucharist, where he took the bread, he blessed it, and like a way that they've never seen before, he blessed it and he broke it and he gave it to these people. And in the process of doing that, they see Jesus for who he really is. It says that their eyes were opened. So there's a few questions that I I think I, I... that might draw out here that may help us answer the question like so if jesus is alive and if we entertain the possibility that jesus is alive so what what's it got to do with me and what do we do so i I would ask here that the text raises some questions here that it doesn't answer the biggest one for me is why did they not recognize him what is it about this jesus that as he appeared to them after he had died made it so that they could not recognize him. And I challenge you to, to at least just consider what, what was going on. I invite you to kind of to throw with your own personality, maybe your own individual response, your own creativity, your own imagination. What is it that kept these guys who supposedly knew Jesus so well from recognizing him? And there's a couple of different ideas, I think, that may teach us to answer the question, okay, what does Jesus have to do with me? And what does it even look like to follow him? The first thing I think is the one that the text actually gives us. It says they were sad, right? They were walking along sadly. They believed that this hope and excitement that they had for Jesus was now gone. They hoped, it says, that Jesus would bring the kingdom back to Israel that he would restore the kingdom to Israel. At the time, these people were living under the occupation of the Roman government. The imperial army of Rome was basically the police force for these people. And they lived, even though they had some elected officials, those elected officials did only what the Roman government and Caesar allowed them to do. And if they didn't bow to Caesar and do everything that Caesar required of them, then they were going to be subject to the same kind of public execution that Jesus was. And they were living in this occupation. Picture, if you will, like if right here, I mean, I, I don't want to throw out any stereotypes that are unfair, but like 
the only, in my own math, the only countries that could probably do this for us are, you know, imagine the Chinese, and I don't want to be a fear monger, but imagine the Chinese came in with their massive army and took over the United States. And now we are no longer American. You don't get to say your pledge. You don't get to do any of the things that the American government gives you freedom and rights and, and the ability to do as, as much as or as many times as and wherever we want. Imagine those freedoms were taken away, and it was taken away and controlled by some other occupying force. You can fill in the blank with whatever group of people you want to demonize. Um, you know, if this were the 80s, we'd say the Russians, right? Um, but, but the simple picture is, what if we were under the control of someone else? Imagine how much we would hate it and how much we would long. We'd get together, we would long for the old days. Oh, do you remember back in the old days when we were Americans? We could do whatever we want. We had freedoms. And now those freedoms are gone. That's the life that these people were living in. That's the burden that they carried, and that's ultimately what they hoped Jesus would fix. That Jesus would come in, maybe raise up an army, or some, by some miraculous power, he would kick out the occupying government. And as they're walking along, it says that as much as they expected that from Jesus, it says their hopes were dashed and they were sad because they just watched this guy that they had their hope and trust in killed publicly. My first theory is that these people, these two guys, were so completely distracted and clouded, because after all, it says that when they recognized Jesus, it uses the words, their eyes were opened. I think these guys and their eyes were closed, probably first and foremost because of grief unmet expectation and sadness. And here's something I, I want to invite you to consider. The good news of Jesus, who he is, and what he's done, lives in conflict with our own despair, our own brokenness, and our own sadness. For me to stand up here, and I don't know what you've lived through. I have no idea what you've endured. You've probably seen things I haven't. And there are things that have probably robbed you of joy and maybe changed your life in ways you didn't want to happen. And for me to stand up here and say that Jesus is alive and it matters and there's victory for you, there's actually joy, there's actually hope for you, that is a word that stands in conflict with the life you've lived up to this point, doesn't it? So much so that it, if you're like me, it's hard to believe. You're telling me, after I've seen and been a part of all of these things that have hurt and left scars in my life, you're saying all of a sudden, now that goes away because Jesus is alive? Can you begin to kind of sympathize with these guys for not recognizing Jesus? Can you, can you possibly begin to sympathize with what it feels like to be so sad and so despondent. Have you ever been in a place in your own life where when someone mentions God, it almost makes you nauseous? Ever been in a place where something bad has happened and when someone comes in and tries to like encourage you and try to give you hope and try to cheer you up, it just makes you angry? Ever been there? It happens. Especially like after, for these people, they just lost someone they loved. People, man, we say stupid stuff to people who've just lost a loved one. 
It's because we don't know what to say. And the truth is that there's no words that really are fitting. And so what we do is our feeble attempt to say we love you, we just kind of fill in the blank with stupid stuff, right? Have you ever been there? And I, I've, been, I've been on both sides of this. I've had stupid stuff said to me, and I assure you I've said stupid stuff to people who, are, who have just experienced loss. And it just seems ridiculous to go up to someone who's just lost someone they loved and say, hey, God's got a plan, right? Or, I, I mean, I, you know, hey, you know, if you're like me, you, you try to you kind of deflect or distract with humor, right? And you, everyone knows humor is all about timing. And that's the worst possible time for me to go in there and go, hey, that's funny when you, okay, yeah, I'm an idiot. Bye. You, ever been there? Ever been on the other end of that? To where when someone is just being nice and funny and it almost was offensive? Can you begin to kind of sympathize with these people? Because it's kind of crazy after you've just experienced that kind of loss for someone to come and tell you that this guy Jesus has done something that's greater and bigger and can overshadow that loss completely. So I don't want you to judge these guys too harshly because it's possible, I don't know if you've ever been there, it's possible that your circumstances are so great that even now, the circumstances that you've experienced are so powerful. Your job, your family, money, you name it. The circumstances around you may be so powerful that as I'm standing up here and talking about Jesus, I sound like an idiot. It's possible. And it's possible, even if I could make the most compelling argument for how awesome Jesus is, it's possible that our circumstances can be so loud that we can't even hear it. So much so that our eyes are so focused on those things that we can't even hear a word of good news and word of hope. And we're more likely to say something like, even if a miracle happened, my life couldn't get any better. I think that's a possibility. And my word of encouragement to you is the same that Jesus had for them. You fools. Not really. That's... My word of encouragement is the same. as There's good news. And you might have missed it. You might have missed it. You, you, you might think you have it all figured out, and you might think that your feeling of depression, your feeling of loss, your feeling of devastation, it, it might be that you've misjudged the circumstances. And Jesus simply says to them, would you, would you think about this a little more deeply? Is it possible that you're wrong? Is it possible that as devastating as your circumstances may be, is it possible that God has done something that's even greater? Is it possible that on the scales of your life, everything you've endured up to this point might be completely outweighed by what God has done for you? Because that's what Jesus encourages these people with. And that's what he challenges them with. But I think there are some other things that, that might make it completely impossible to see Jesus. And one of them is probably my least favorite. It says that they were kept from seeing Jesus. Like they were, passive, they were passive in this. As if someone or something was blinding them. I don't like that part. I don't like the thought that there are possible outside forces that could keep me from seeing things as they really are. And it's scary to even begin to think, why would God let that happen? Why would God allow these people who are walking and talking with Jesus to not even see who he really is. And it's scary to think. But I want to encourage you. If you find yourself 
kind of wondering who this Jesus is, and as I'm sitting here telling you who he is, if you find yourself being skeptical, there's a word of encouragement here, isn't there? Even the people who got to see Jesus face to face had a hard time believing he really was who he said he was. And so if you're in this room, maybe you have the gift of faith. And maybe, you know, as you say, hey, God is good, God is faithful. And, and even in spite of bad situations, maybe you have the gift of faith and you can go, yeah, it's cool, everything's good, God's in control. Maybe you're that guy, okay? I'm not that guy. I have more in common with my daughters when they were in the why stage, right? Why? Why? Because. Why? That's me. I'm more likely to say, I don't understand that. I don't, I don't get it. I don't know that I can really believe it. And I don't know that I can really trust it because I don't understand it. Well, there's a really cool word for you and for me. You're in a good place. Because even the people who were walking and talking with Jesus found it difficult to conceive of the idea that Jesus could be as great as he says he was. And if you're sitting here right now and you're entertaining the possibility that Jesus was who he says he was and you're having a hard time swallowing that one, don't be ashamed. Don't feel guilty. And don't feel like you're the only one. Don't feel like you're the only one who's struggling. Instead, man, I have a word of encouragement. You're in good company. Even the first followers of Jesus were staring at him face to face, and they had a hard time believing that he really was there. It was just their brains couldn't comprehend that a guy could be dead one minute and alive the next. And I don't know about you, but I kind of sympathize with that. So if you're in kind of a place where you're not really sure if you can see Jesus, and maybe right now you, you see your circumstances very clearly, but this word about who God is seems hard to swallow, you're in good, you're in good company. Because that's where this start, story starts for these guys. But then something takes place, a few things take place, and then Jesus shows up and the story turns around. And I want to finish there. So, so kind of look at what they did. They're walking along, they were talking with Jesus. And they got together and they were interpreting, if you will, the Scriptures. It says they were talking about how these things might be fulfilled. And the first thing they did when they got together is that they talked about the Scriptures. And Jesus even, His first words to encourage them and change their mind was to talk about the Scriptures and point out that as hard as it may be to believe, it's possible that God really is in control. And the things that have happened, even though they seem terrible over the last couple days for these people, might actually be in God's plan. And it's possible that as terrible as these things have been for these people for the last few days, they are not bigger than God. And the place that they went to find that word of encouragement, that word of hope, is through the Scriptures. It says that Jesus even started with Moses. And he walked through the Bible. Walk through the Scripture as if to point out, look, there are no accidents. And as hard as it may be to believe, there are no coincidences. And at times when things to be against can be, seem to be against you, it's possible, according to the Scriptures, that God is still in control. That as scary as it may look, I don't know what you're facing this week, but as scary as it may look, God is still in control. And that's the first thing that they did. They, they started to look at the Scriptures. They looked through the Bible. They looked through the Old Testament. And they found hope there. And it pointed them toward the hope that is in Jesus Christ. The second thing they did, says they were walking and talking. 
about life, about what's been going on. They talked about the last three days and how devastating it was. They shared their grief. It says that they shared the shock that they'd experienced. And they got together, they talked through the Scriptures, and they also talked about life. They talked about how ultimately, even though it's confusing, they found it hard to believe that there really was a plan. They talked about the Scripture, and they they talked about life. And then lastly, when they got to their destination, this is my favorite one, they ate. Right? You know me, you talk to me in a personal personal conversation. I love food. uh, I'm I'm not a foodie. I'm not really, I don't have a really sophisticated tongue. I just like to eat. I like to eat everything. Uh, I like hot dogs. I like filet mignon. I like them all. Love food. And this is the cool part for me. It's biblical. We saw uh, a couple of months ago, one of the first things that the first followers of Jesus committed to doing among four things was they talked about the teaching that the apostles had, the good news of who Jesus is and what he'd done. They prayed for each other. They had fellowship with one another, the kind of friendship that not just like you're here and I'm here, but like there's actually something missing if you're not. And the last thing is said they committed themselves to the breaking of bread. That's awesome. It's good to know God actually wants us to eat. And that's what they did together. But they also did it in a special way. Not only did they eat, it says that Jesus, in the same way that he seems to turn the tradition on its head at the Last Supper, it says he blessed it. And he broke it. And he served them. So let me get this straight. They discussed and interpreted the Scriptures. They learned from the Scripture. They walked and talked together about life. And then they ate together. And as a result, Jesus ended up being the thing they experienced. So much so that when they left, they walked, remember, this is why I asked, they, they trudged there, right? They walked sadly. Did you catch what it said when they left? When they went back that night? It says they left, kind of on a shake, right? Kind of sprinting. It seems to imply that it took them a most of the day to get there. But even though they told Jesus, hey, don't go out in the dark, right? Don't do that. It's dangerous. What did they do as soon as they recognized Jesus? They boldly jumped out and ran to tell the people that they knew what they had seen and what they heard. They had walked through the Scriptures. They would walked and talked about life. They, they had broken bread together. And as a result, when Jesus came in their midst, they were so excited, they ran out boldly and courageously into the unknown to make it known to the people that they loved. That is my prayer for you and for me. That's it. And that is, in a nutshell, why we are here. And that is, I hope, the most predictable routine that you find with Connection Church. We're going to get together. And we're going to talk about the Bible. We love that. And we're going to try to give away Bibles. And that protects each other. That, that protects you from my opinions. If I stand up here and tell you what the Bible says, that protects you from all the dumb things I could say if I sit up here and just told you what I thought, right? What a waste of time that would be. And the Bible protects us. And not only does it protect us from our opinions, but it gives us direction and vision of how the world really is. So that even in times when it seems like God is gone 
It's hard to believe there is a God. We, we look to these promises that God has given to us in the Scriptures, and we hope that maybe we're encouraged enough to believe them. The other thing we do together is we walk and talk about life, right? We walk through life and we talk about it. Even if we follow their example when it's awful. Even when the events of the last few days are as awful as possible, we still walk and talk together. We lean on each other. And then lastly, we eat. We eat together. It really is important, and, and for this is simple. I, I encourage you, dare someone say, hey, let's go out to eat. In fact, you're in, if this is really biblical, if, this, if God really wants this for us and, and God can be revealed in this, then hey, you can invite yourself over for dinner. I know your mom told you never to do that because that's not polite, but you can say, hey, the Bible says we're supposed to eat, man. You know, I ain't got no cash. Can we, can we go over to your house? And you can tell, hey, the Bible, the Bible told me to do it. I wouldn't go, I wouldn't go too far. You know, hey, the Bible told you to make me, you know, po'boy sandwich or cook me a steak. That might be pushing a little too far. But it seems that it's no stretch of the imagination to say that as they walked through the Scripture, as they walked together, and as they ate together, who showed up in their midst? Who was it that their eyes were open to see most fully? And who was it that they left talking about? And that's my prayer for Connection Church, is that as we get together, we talk about God's Word, God speaks, and Jesus becomes obvious. We walk and we talk about life. And the more we do that, Jesus becomes more obvious and visible. As we eat together, we remember what it was like when Jesus said, yeah, you eat that bread, you eat that burger. But just remember, as you eat it, and as that burger is broken into pieces, so was my body for you. And in the same way that burger is going to give you life for the next couple hours, so is my broken body going to give you life. And we leave, not talking about food. We leave, hopefully, with our eyes more fully open to who Jesus is. So that, my prayer, when you leave today, we're going we're to pray together uh, before we leave. My ultimate prayer is that as you leave, you won't talk about me. Please, what a waste of your time this morning if you showed up here and all you got to do was hear me talk. What a waste of your time. But wouldn't it be awesome as as we left, just like these guys who encountered Jesus, we would leave almost sprinting. Not because you're glad to get out of here. Because that may be possible too. But you leave almost sprinting, looking for the first people that you can tell about Jesus. I've seen them. I ate with them, and in this miraculous way, even though there was just a guy up there talking about the Bible and we were just talking about football and life, and then we, then we eat together, somehow in all of that, this miraculous thing happened, and then we actually saw Jesus. There's no greater prayer that I have for you, for your life, and for mine, for my family and for your family, and for this church and for the churches across this city, that as we sprint out of this place looking for places that we could bring the good news of Jesus, that we will do so having encountered him, having celebrated him, having not been distracted by everything else, but that through the walking of, through of God's word, through loving each other, through sharing the breaking of bread, the food isn't the topic of a discussion. We're not even the topic of discussion. 
Jesus. Jesus who died. Jesus who died and was betrayed by his friends. And when he came back to meet his friends on the road, remember, they, they couldn't believe. They, they couldn't believe. They didn't believe he was, it was really happening. And Jesus doesn't come back to them with a word of revenge. He comes back to them with a word of hope. And every single movie, every single movie I know, when the guy comes back from the dead, he usually comes back to hurt people. Right? Watch a zombie movie. That's really cool right now. A couple years ago, watch a Dracula movie, right? Vampires are really big. Every time someone comes back to dead from the dead, they come back for revenge. Not Jesus. He comes back to these people who are walking along thinking that their lives were over, feeling sadness. He catches up to them and gives them a word of hope. What if you and I were like that? What if you and I had such hope and joy that we couldn't keep it a secret? In a minute here, we're going to uh, take up an offering. I'm going to pray for us and we'll close. And as we take up the offering, some of you will worship through tithes and worship financially as you... We want to financially build into this mission that, that apparently God has given us from the beginning, starting with these two guys. We want to we do that, but there's also some other options you'll see on that card. Maybe if this whole Jesus thing is hard to swallow and you have a hard time believing that, but you'd like to know more, I encourage you, check that. Write that down. Hey, I, I want to know more. This, is, this seems unbelievable, but I, 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 want, I want to know more. You can check that. If there's something we can pray about, maybe if you're right where these guys are, and the events of the last few days have been pretty devastating, I'd love to pray for you. We would love to pray for you and pray that God would deliver you through that so that ultimately the joy of Jesus will replace it. And so there's an opportunity to, to very nonchalantly, you don't have to be put on the spot, but you can simply write that and drop it in the offering plate. And that'll be our response to what God has done here. Let's pray together. God, we thank you so much for Jesus. We thank you so much for his goodness. Uh, we thank you that even though sometimes we can't see him clearly, uh, he hasn't abandoned us. Uh, and in ways that are hard to explain or even hard to imagine, he's actually with us right now. And his promise to his disciples as he sent them out into the world was that if there's two of you and you gather together, if you're being obedient together and you gather together and you do so in my name so that your name is so that jesus name is what is talked about then then there jesus promises he will be in their midst and it's so amazing to see that that promise actually came true with these two people who couldn't even recognize them and god i i pray that the same would be true for us uh, that in times where it's hard for us to see you and hard for us to believe that man this jesus is real he's actually alive would you in a powerful way make your presence known to us so that in spite of devastating circumstances, we would actually be filled with hope and joy. And we could look right past the terrible things that have happened in our lives, the terrible decisions we've made and the consequences we live with, and we could actually see that there's hope in Jesus. If there's someone in this room, and right now they're just burdened and, uh, and can't possibly see the hope and, and good news, and they're having a hard time even believing that it's possible that God could, could give them joy or hope in spite of what's happened, I hope that this, this story would, would begin to open their eyes. I hope, hope that they would begin to consider the possibility like me that, and even the first followers of Jesus had a hard time believing this, but yet God still, you bless them. You bless them in spite of their doubt.
and you took their little bit of faith and you multiplied it and you created great joy for them. And so if there's someone in this room who has just even an ounce of faith, would you, would you begin to multiply that? Would you bless that so that they would leave today knowing that they had a real encounter with this Jesus? I ask that you would continue to inspire us that even though we may have trudged in here, maybe we walked in here sadly, may it be the case that as we encounter Jesus face to face, we would leave with a new hope, a new life, and a new joy. A kind of joy that we can't possibly keep a secret. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.